0: You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And today, we've got uh, a great guest, Brian Luma. Brian is founder and CEO of CAD sourcing, uh, which is a computer drafting company. They work with architects, engineers throughout the US and Canada. Um, And most importantly, so I know Brian through EO, the entrepreneurs organization, but more importantly than that, Brian is also a fellow Minnesotan. So Brian grew up in Northern Minnesota uh, my home state. So it's always a pleasure to have another Minnesotan on the show. Proud Minnesotan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks for being here. And I, you know, I like to kind of start this with just understanding a little bit more about your background. You've got an actually really interesting story in terms of how the whole business came about. So we'd love to hear about that. And then we can talk a little bit about the business itself and sort of the challenges and fun of scaling service businesses. So give us a sense of your background.
0: Sure. Well, challenges and fun is is, is the the right way to put it. <laughs> I grew up in northern Minnesota. I think you might I think I saw on Facebook that you kind of ran through my my old neighborhood up up by the Boundary Waters yeah. and everything on the Iron Range of northern Minnesota. And uh decided I wanted to go out east for college, so applied to a whole bunch of places out there and ended up at Rutgers University where I got my degree in civil engineering. And uh you know, I was always had that entrepreneurial itch, um uh, you know, selling mail-order shoes to friends and family when I was in (laughs) middle school and starting my own landscape business and, you know, doing a whole bunch of that kind of stuff. But uh, I was going to be the good guy and and do the the right smart thing and and join the corporate world and get an engineering degree, uh, which, you know, I enjoyed, but uh, I I didn't like being the employee. (laughs) So I was, I was, climbing the corporate ladder and even had an opportunity to be part owner of a a really really small part uh, owner of a couple of different firms but I could just tell that that wasn't going to work out and you know just that's when cat sourcing kind of had its its birth when I was uh, reading four hour work week and rich dad poor dad and all those books that people read when they're like trying to figure out how they're going to make the jump and then i saw a post from a cousin of mine in the philippines who is also a civil engineer of uh, of a gas station that he had been working on and i was like that looks just like the gas station that i you know designed in central new jersey last month and i was really impressed by the work and and i reached out to him and said hey if i can get you some work can you uh, can you draft it up? And he said, "Yes, probably," having no idea what that meant. <laughs> Put up a website and started getting orders almost immediately. And and uh, I told him, "Hey, you better hire some people." So he hired a couple of people, and you know, next thing you know, uh, you know fast forward six years, and mm-hmm. we've got over sixty people in in the Philippines and another ten or so here in the U.S. And uh, yeah, things are. Uh, exciting, but there's uh,
1: challenges and fun along the way, as, as I think, as you oh, said. I'm sure. I'm sure. It's, and, and congratulations! I think that you know that getting getting to those levels is not an easy feat, uh, and I and I know there's been uh, you know obstacles, but that that's a big win. Let's talk a little bit about this kind of um, offshoring outsourcing model. You know, people talk a lot about from a strategy point of view. Like, what what have you seen that, that being the big benefits of having uh, this kind of you know two-part model. You've got uh, most of your demand coming out of the u s. and Canada. You've got your talent and your sort of d- your capabilities based in the Philippines. What has worked about that for you? Why is it, Why has that been the model that you've gone with? Well, I mean, I, I think that
0: people for a long time have recognized the the monetary benefits or at least the the economics of it. and been boy, like you know that really should work. And especially, from my standpoint in in engineering specifically in architecture as well, I had experience dealing with outsourcing firms in in India prior to uh starting my company and you know just on the face of it, we're like boy, you know what we're you know it's drafting you know they're going to do the do the drafting work we're going to pay them it's going to be you know a third of what we pay right now and and you know things are going to be awesome and then you try it and you find out all these hassles of you know the time zone differences uh, you know the philippines is 12 hours time zone difference than the us time zones culture communication just having control over the work product all those hassles that everyone encounters makes it so that they're like you know what it just isn't going to work but what we found is that if you can utilize the talent where it's most appropriate and to leverage that so that you get the best product that works best. So we have like I said we've got t- about 10 people here in the US mm-hmm. project managers, account managers, other executive staff dealing with the clients on a day-to-day basis. So they're 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 handling the day-to-day calls, they're making sure that the scheduling is right, they're making sure that the files are are passed off properly. They're being that that conduit between the drafting teams and the client so that most, if not all, of those hassles go away, and then you get the best of both worlds. You get the the local knowledge and the expertise of a U.S. project manager with the the ability to scale, the ability to work 24 hours a day, the ability to really just increase your top line yeah. that you have with the, the overseas uh, drafting team. So we've tried to combine both so that People get the product that they were expecting right in the beginning with the with, with an overseas team.
1: Yeah. And I think that, you know, you, the, what you kind of outlined in the beginning is a pretty classic, uh, I think, first move. A lot of people go into this kind of offshore outsource model. Saying I'm basically going to do a labor arbitrage. I'm going to I'm yep. going to take you know yep. sort of the, assume that I can get the same labor, the same work done at you know a third of the rate, and I'm just going to make all this money. And yeah, they forget the the time, the logistical differences, the cultural difference, communication issues, like all those things, the infrastructure yep. that you need to put in place. And I think that idea. I think the the what I've seen kind of more and more is this idea that there's actually some strategic differences like being able to move quickly the whole thing that you know you can bring to the table you know, a team that's ready to go quickly to a project to reduce mm-hmm. my my ramp up, my spin up time can be a huge factor for a lot of companies. Just capacity, being able to find certain talent, I think these days is, is a huge issue and, and being able to go to an offshore outsource model is is big. And then the 24 hour turnaround or the 24 hour work period, like you can actually mm-hmm. have, create a continuous work cycle, you know, for these projects that really are, are time sensitive and, uh, you know, those not familiar with the kind of construction architecture space, that, you know, that deadlines are money. <laughs> Construction yep, tighter and tighter
0: turn around. Hey, when I first started, it was, you know, I'm not quite to, it was only letters. When I started, there was fax machines, but still it was a fax machine. You'd send the fax, it'd get over there, sit in some secretary's desk for a while. In fact, when I first started, we didn't even type our own letters. We would dictate a letter. You'd put the letter in the pool. The secretary would type it up. You'd edit it. They'd type it up some more. Then you'd say, okay, fax this out. I mean that that's crazy now now time is money you you've got to send things immediately you want to re- I mean one of our core values is is hassle-free communication and and oh, it, the, the idea is that we're going to respond you know within a couple hours we're going to over-communicate, so if you, you send something, even if we don't have the right answer, we're going to say, hey, we're going to respond to that. Communication is so key, and we realize that you know, working with a team that, at least partially, is on the other side of the world, there's a little bit of a concern about that. So we really focus on communication. Time, Like you said, time is money. you got to turn things around. Yeah. We really try and focus on that.
1: And I, my, my guess is you probably have to over-deliver on the communication because people are kind of coming into this with a concern – you yeah, are like, oh, look, am I going to, you know, this is going to be an issue. I have, have communication issues. You actually have to perform, you know, 50 or 100% better than your local exactly. local base competitor just because people are coming into it with a, with a yeah. little bit of an issue. Yeah,
0: yeah, if they send you a file and they're like, hey, I need this tomorrow, they want to know like within a half hour or an hour, like, yeah. okay, it's going to come tomorrow. <laughs> Otherwise, they're like, you know, four hours later, like, do I need to jump on this? Do I need to have somebody else? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? So that, you know, you need to be over communicating on, on on stuff like that. And, and we really try and focus on that and, and over deliver, like you said, like yeah. more than you would
1: typically if the guy was like just down the hall in, in yeah. the office. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm curious about the model in terms of uh, having the local project managers, local kind of client facing folks. My, my guess is that that's pretty key in terms of delivering your service. Is that something you've always had? Is that something you kind of learned over time? How has that role adjusted or evolved? It's it's something we always had. Obviously, in the beginning, I
0: was that guy. So <laughs> I was the project manager. I was the account manager. I was the owner. I was the accounting department. So I was I was yeah. that. But I I recognized it right away. I, I mean, I, I think that. I'm a big fan of the uh, the traction book by Gino Wickman. I've got a couple copies of it right behind me there, and one of the early steps in that book is to identify the the key differences. I can't remember the exact phrase that he uses, but the key differences uh, that's going to differentiate you between yourself and the competitors. And and when I'm looking at my competitors overseas. That's you know identified those hassles the the communication the time zones the culture the the language, and so being that client facing go between was was a key indicator a key differentiator that I had right from the beginning. Of course, it was me in the beginning. Yeah. But I, actually, I, I realized very quickly as we started to grow that I wasn't providing enough of that communication, yeah. and I was pushing stuff off to my my team leaders. And that's when I knew that I had to hire somebody else because I, I realized that by hiring somebody else, they're going to do a better job of project management and and being that client facing and and communicating like I wanted to than I could when I'm also trying to do the sales and also trying mm-hmm. to do the accounting and and trying to do the 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 you know all the project management. It, it just was impossible, and that's what led me to make my first hire of of, of a project manager, and and then that's kind of been the buildup from there as well, you know, even then, you know, hiring salespeople later on. It's like, I, I'm not responding to these, these uh, proposal requests fast enough. Yeah. So,
1: well, and I think that that is, that is one of the big challenges along the journey of growing scaling your business is realizing when you become the bottleneck and then how do you uh, identify the role that then needs to get created? How do you hire that role? How do you then interface with that role? Um, I guess any, any big uh, learnings they've had in terms of, Either defining those roles, like how do you sort of set them up Any in terms of structure and in terms of responsibilities, in terms of finding talent? What what have you learned around as you've sort of built your team and capabilities around you that, that's come up? For me,
0: I think that I've always tried to hire fast and hire people that are better than me. Yeah. So when I hired somebody, I wanted to hire somebody that could teach me that they're better at whatever I'm hiring for, that they're they able to teach me. I never wanted to hire somebody that I would have to teach them because I was like, you know, I might as well bring somebody that's better than me yeah. at doing this. So I bring in project managers, especially we have a pretty strong niche in telecom uh, drafting, working, doing cell towers, antennas, fiber optics. And we kind of stumbled into that space. But I have no experience in that, uh, that industry. I've, I learned a lot along the way and had mm-hmm. know some buzzwords and could, uh, you know, stumble my ways through a set of plans, but I don't necessarily have 15 years of experience in that. So when I was hiring my project manager or one of my project managers, I, I need to make sure I had that skill. So hiring people that are better than you, I like to hire fast, especially if you've got, you know, a, a business that you're, that's growing, that's expanding, you expect to be, you know, yeah. twice as big a year or two down the road, hire fast so that you can continue that, that momentum. And then one of my uh, partners has a phrase, we're too small to be cheap. So in other words, we can't afford to make mistakes because they're costly. Yeah. So I'd rather spend 10% more and get it right the first time than to pay the penalties of hiring the wrong person and spending time training them and then spending time deciding that, oh, you know what, I really did screw up on this. All that costs money yeah. and we're too small, to make those kind of mistakes, you know, GM can make those kind of mistakes and have people sit around not not doing anything. We need people to be rock stars from day one, and uh, you know, and if we do make a mistake, which I'll admit that, that happens yeah. too, you got you got to decide quickly that that you made a mistake. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I've learned. It's worked out pretty good, but I'm sure I've got lots more to learn for sure. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it, it's always kind of that challenge of how do you how do you pave the road you're driving on at the same time. It's mm-hmm. like you need to be one step ahead of the of the business. Um, anything else about hiring because I think that's that, that for me that comes up again and again in you know companies that are in this kind of growth uh, high growth mode, moving quickly, growing quickly, how to find the people, how to interview the people, how to onboard the people. any other kind of insights that you've had that you'd be willing to share around uh, sure. around talent?
0: Yeah, I mean I'm a huge fan of the who method. Yeah. that to me really upped my interviewing and, and hiring game. So, utilizing their interviewing methods, and and also what I did is I I hired a HR recruiter, if you will, that was on an hourly basis, as opposed to a on a, as opposed to a commission, yeah, a retainer commission basis. So that they're focused on just getting you the best applicants, getting as many of them as they can, finding the right person. And, and I was hooked up through EO. Uh, with a great HR person or, or recruiter that's worked great, it was worked wonders for me. In fact, helped me hire the last I think six people I've I've hired here in yeah. the U.S. But having somebody actually spend the time to go through the go through the the resumes, making sure they meet the qualifications that they want. Ask, doing the initial interviews, making sure that that, again, it's the same thing. I want to hire somebody that's better than me. Like yeah. I realized that I was just hiring the first person that was average. And, <laughs> and that's not a bad, that's not a good strategy. Yeah. It, it doesn't work out. So hiring somebody and implementing a process and having them stick to that process that you know is good actually works better than just being like, you know what? I don't want to interview six more people. This person's pretty good. The resume looks great. I can teach them that. And you know what, that little, Red flag. I'm sure it's not that thick. Deal. It's not that red. It's yeah, kind of, it's you know, kind of orangish I, You know, that that old boss sounded like a real jerk. I can imagine why they they were pissed off at him all the time. I can, under, you know, I can make excuses all the time. So learning to pull myself out of that yeah. part of the process, so that when it does get to me, we've got a pretty good feeling about who they are and that you know they've gone through a process that we're comfortable with. That that to me is a, a winning winning formula.
1: Yeah, I, I think the. Um, w- one of the general kind of patterns or um, th- things that I certainly try to focus on is figuring out where are the natural kind of biases, sort of bad tendencies, bad habits, things that you know uh, are not going to serve you well, and how do you create kind of process and structure around you to avoid those from manifesting? <laughs> so yeah. like you said, you know, hi- hiring, you know, bringing in for someone from the outside, that uh, you know that can do that work and have an unbiased view of those things. Having a process in place that kind of forces you to continue to look at candidates and you know, yep. predefining what your criteria really are, so you don't get yep. stuck in terms of. Uh, convincing yourself that, oh, this time won't matter. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, I,
0: I've, I've realized that having me do the account management or having me do the project management is horrible because I, I make excuses all oh. the time. I, I cut corners. I, I say, like, oh, this client's different. I really like and And oh, I'm of, know, being the boss. Deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll do this for you. Don't worry. <laughs> you know, exactly. Oh, he's going to work. You know, I'm, and being the boss, I can get away with it. But when it's another account manager, we had this conversation during my team, my week weekly team meeting this week is like, because there's this one client I've been letting get away with something for a while. And, you know, I think it's going to work out in the end, but I've been just too long. And I, and that's what I, and I told her, I said, see, this is why I should not be managing any of the accounts. Because if it was one of you guys, I would say, take care of this and we'd get (laughs) it done. But meanwhile, (laughs) it's been months and I've been letting this person drag on. And and yeah, I I should really
1: not be involved (laughs) with it. Better off. No, it's very true. It's very true. Uh, So we talked about uh, the people stuff a little bit. I'm curious on, uh, I think one of the things that always challenges service-based companies is, you know, kind of pricing and managing cash and that kind of whole cash flow. How, how, describe for me your kind of cash cycle. Like how, how do you, how do you contract? How do you do the work? How do you get paid for the work? How do you, you know, what does that process look like for you? Well, you're getting into a sore subject. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know how to find them. <laughs>
0: you do, you do. I mean, we're a service-based industry, right? And and yeah. we're uh, a drafting company, so we're the bottom of the totem pole, right? Yeah. And a lot of our a lot of our clients, we're working for the engineer who works for the property manager who's hired by the owner. Uh, yeah. And you know, we send our invoice. It goes all the way up the ladder, and then it's got to come all the way down the ladder. And, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, we're working on pretty big projects, but each individual projects, you know, pretty small, hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, thousand dollars a site, even though the whole contract might be a hundred thousand dollars. So it's each individual project isn't that much. And then you're submitting that and you got to wait for it to get paid. And our terms, we try and get 30 days, but sometimes it's more than that. And sometimes, you know, what we think are great clients take a long time to pay. And we've been really bad about holding our clients' feet to the fire about, yeah. hey, you know, it's been thirty days, sixty days, we're not doing any more work or whatever. We've been really bad about that. And so our you know, our accounts receivable has gone up. Luckily we've got a line of credit. The yeah. banks have been kind of nice to us, but you know, we've gotten into our line of credit at times and stuff. And so that's something that we're really looking to tighten up going forward, especially you know, once you get over seven figures and that AR number starts to get into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, it, it's painful. Yeah. So that's something we're really looking to improve uh, moving forward, tightening up our terms. Also, we, we've got a little bit of a reputation now. We've gotten better. Yes. So we can be a little bit pickier on our on our uh, on our clients and be a little bit more firm in our pricing. When we were you know, when when you're the first client to come yeah. to us, a one hundred thousand dollar job, you know, we're like we're going to do what we can to get this now. You know, they're not as rare. And so we can be like, listen, we'll we'll walk away. We we have much more confidence to be able to say, you know, we don't need, there's going to be another $100,000 job or another $200,000 job. We don't have to bend over backwards for this one. So that's, that's improved. And what we found just like, you know, when we increased our prices, as we've done that, we've gotten better clients. The jobs have been better. We're getting paid on time. Life is better you know yeah. it's just like when i started the company i was starting at 8 dollars an hour just cuz the indian firms were 7 dollars an hour <laughs> yeah. and then the next year we raised it to 10 and then we raised it to 20 and now we're you know 30 35 dollars an hour yeah. and every time we raise our prices the clients are better the the the, <laughs> the jobs are better we're happier doing the work we can assign better people to yeah. the work Clients are happier. It's just better all around, and and you weed out the the single family homeowner that wants to put a deck on the back of his house, and no. you know it's going to send you a paper, uh, you know, napkin sketch. Yeah. Uh, so it it's my tip is raise your rates, but have strong, solid terms
1: on, on those <laughs> rates. No, and I think you know, honestly, I think that that is not an uncommon story. That uh, you know, when you start a business, you very much try to compete on price. You're trying to either undercut or match some other competitor's price so that you can get traction, get deal flow. But at some point, you sort of make some of those strategic choices and those strategic realizations that if if I really want to create a solid viable profitable customer base i'm gonna have to focus on price and actually increasing prices improves the situation the challenge is always you have to have the deal flow like you have to be able to generate enough leads that you can start to be picky about and you know it's oftentimes why just early stage companies it's just it's sales and leads like i just need to get more leads in so i can be more choosy about the ones that i actually turn into clients so i think that i think that makes a lot of sense and i think you know being being on that totem pole, whether, you know, no matter where you are, you're kind of faced with that process of what does that cycle time look like and and how do I, you know, how, how do I manage that cash conversion cycle from, you know, from sales on to actually cash in the bank? Um, Don't get
0: at, me wrong. I love being at the bottom of the totem pole. I, I was a civil engineer for 15 years yeah. and, you know, ran really big projects and you know dealt with the subs underneath me I like being the guy that says you tell us what to draft we'll draft it all day long you want us to change it fine just pay for it I don't mind <laughs> you know, yeah. that that that's okay with me but it does hurt to the cash flow cycle
1: yeah I'm sure so um uh so so one more pivot on conversation here let's talk a little bit about culture because I think that's I mean it's it's really important for any company but particularly for companies that have this kind of outsourced you know to office uh, where you're actually dealing with different, not only different countries, but different cultures, you know, time zone differences and stuff. Tell me a little bit about some of the challenges you've had and how you've kind of approached them. What are some of the things that you've been doing that you think have helped build a strong culture and how has that kind of impacted business?
0: Sure. I mean, I am a huge proponent of culture and, and, and the feeling about how that Improves the workplace and retention, and then the quality of the work. So what we do is we have, uh, we first of all, every every call is a video conference, so you get that that face to face interaction. We've got you know a lot of meetings, weekly meetings with the you know the management team, sales team, operations team. Uh, so there's lots of opportunities for interaction, even though we are a remote team. Uh, also, you know we have core values honesty, service, communication. And we do a lot of stuff, uh, service for the communities we work in. So it's not just service to our clients and service to our fellow employees, it's service to the communities we work in. So we've tried to create a culture around that, a culture around giving. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, I was just in the Philippines for a couple of weeks, uh, opening our brand new office in, in Cebu. And we took the entire office to a facility that caters to abandoned and orphaned street children, rescuing them off the streets and providing them food and and, and place to live, obviously. And, and we went there and brought some food and played with them and basically spent the day trying to bring some joy in their lives. And we've also, obviously the team yeah. gets to experience that. You know, we've got 50 some people there, yeah. all you know, playing with these kids and the team bonds around that and sees how this is an important thing in the culture of our company. And I, and I think that really helps with morale and, 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 you know, the work ethic of the team. And then we do other things with scholarships for universities and, and, um, micro loans to female entrepreneurs that are starting or expanding. businesses. So we try and do a lot of stuff that, that, uh, I think promotes the culture that we want to, um, promote within within the company then also to the outside world as well so yeah. um it's also we try to be very positive so we start all of our all of our meetings with the you know what's your positive outlook uh yep. item you want to share so you know what's your best news from the past week so we always try and, and start with positivity i mean we we don't back away from negative events mm-hmm. uh, we try and have uh, honest conversations honesty is one of our core values but we try and address them promptly, uh, and try and do it in a in a positive manner, and address the facts as opposed to maybe the personalities that that might be around it. So yeah,
1: I think as you know, one of the things I I kind of you know coach CEOs on, or or you know lead any any kind of leader inside the business really on is just helping them understand how much impact and influence they have over the energy and kind of the tone of the organization and, and i think some of people some people don't realize it you know yeah. and and coming into a situation with a positive constructive attitude consciously has a huge impact on on the outcome and and, and the results that you're going to get uh, and i think the other one you know just realizing that you know every every business operates inside some kind of community And understanding how your business impacts the community, either positively or negatively, and how, you know, taking, you know, a conscious, uh, deliberate effort to, you know, connect with the communities that you serve in uh, is really important. It's one of the things I put on my checklist for growth is... We're not, we're not just looking at revenues, not just looking at profits, but we're looking at how are we impacting our people, what's our attrition, you know, what's our work-life balance, what's our integration with the communities that we serve, how do we give back and, and feed the ecosystem that's supporting and, and fueling us from a business point of view. So, uh, yep. you know, great areas of focus and, you know, kudos for, for putting those, those practices in place. So we're about at time here but if, if people want to find out more about you about the company, you know, ask other questions, things like that, what's the best way to get a hold of you and learn more about the business? Sure, well we we have a website cadsourcing.com, c a d
0: s o u r c i n g.com and and you can see some of the uh Some of the CAD giving activities that we've done there, kind of proud of that. But if you want to shoot me an email, brian at cadsourcing.com, B-R-Y-A-N. I I don't hide from anyone. So uh, shoot me an email. I'd love to talk to anyone about uh, you know, maybe about the cat giving activities you do, or yeah. or anything else. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm always open to that. Or, or if they want to talk about business, I could talk about cat sourcing all day. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> careful what you wish for.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I know. Th- I mean, this, this, uh, the model that you have is, is, a, it's a pretty exciting, and I think a, a model that a lot of people are looking for. So, I'm sure there are people that want to connect. Uh, I'll make sure that your uh, the website, your email address are in the show notes, so that uh, people have uh, have that and click on that and get a hold of you. Um, and this is a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time, Brian. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Bruce. I, I, it's always a pleasure talking. <laughs> like I said, we'll do it again soon. I'm sure.
0: You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter.